Welcome to the Dabble Co. Podcast, and before we get started today, I want to tell our listeners about another show in the Offscript Health Podcast Network called Heart of Healthcare with my friend Hallie Tecco. So Heart of Healthcare expands on the traditional lens of what we think about as healthcare by exploring things like the determinants of health, including food system, housing, climate change, and more. So join Hallie. She has incredible guests like Mark Cuban, Charlemagne the God. Subscribe and give it a listen. You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I am so thrilled today. I have Tamar Samuels, who is one of the co-founders of Kalina Health, and she is a registered dietitian. I'm going to let her tell you all about her credentials and how she started her company and everything, but I'm just thrilled to have her on the podcast today. As you guys know, I love having really well-qualified healthcare professionals, and just thank you for taking the time and coming to meet with me. Talk to us. Hey, Claire. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um can't wait to dive in. Yeah. Okay. So just tell us when I, I love, first of all, your company's like, it's so clear and bright and like looks, makes nutrition and all of this things that we need to be doing look actually fun. But tell me, how did you guys actually come up with this idea and start Kalina Health and, and what is it? Yeah. So Kalina Health is a nutrition platform that provides, you know, one-on-one nutrition counseling from registered dietitians to help to support you, um, feel nourished and like live your best life. (laughs) Um, we are a team of diverse dietitians and we take insurance. So our goal is really to make nutrition accessible and sustainable for everyone. Um, my co-founder, Vanessa Rosetto, and I, also another registered dietitian, another woman of color, we mm-hmm. met uh, seven years ago at Mount Sinai Hospital. Um, she was actually my dietetic preceptor, um, and she was working in inpatient on the cardiology unit, and she was very, very pregnant at the time. And we sort of just clicked. We were like, you're cool. You're cool. Let's chill. <laughs> Let's hang. I like you. Yeah. Um, and we then like lost lost touch over the course of literally almost a decade and reconnected a couple of years ago over coffee. And we again like instantly were like, Oh yeah, you're pretty awesome. Like, what are you doing in life? And we were both kind of doing the same thing in that she had her own private practice, I had my own private practice. We were both um doing really well separately. We both took insurance, but we were both really frustrated about like the current nutrition space, yeah. which is still really frustrating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, has, you know. That has not changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hasn't changed, but we're, we're changing it. Um, and we were both, you know, we both took insurance. We were both frustrated by two things. We were frustrated by one, the misinformation out there around nutrition. Right. The majority of nutrition information is not science-based. It's not evidence-based and it's not disseminated by healthcare professionals who have knowledge about the human body (laughs) um, and experience and, and in in general, like can speak from a research-based perspective. Right. So, you know, people are getting the nutrition advice from people who are, are, don't really know what they're talking about. Um, 
but even for the, the nutrition professionals out there, the nutrition information just felt so um, polarized, right? Mm -hmm. It just felt like everybody was either doing this very prescriptive nutrition plan, like keto, intermittent fasting, Mm -hmm. um, or they were doing this intuitive eating, which was like, you know, let's say screw diet culture, eat whatever the hell you want. Um, And we were kind of like, neither of those things really works for everyone. So why is nobody talking about personalized nutrition? It's so important for us to talk about nutrition in the context of individuals and their lifestyle, um, their access to food, um, their culture (laughs) and their relationship with food um, and mental health, all of the things, right? Like we don't just eat in a vacuum. All of these things impact the way that we eat. And so we both had this philosophy in, in our practice and we basically decided that it was time to create a movement because, you know, the current standard of nutrition care is just not up to par. Yeah. And, and gosh, you're saying like all these things. I'm like, I'm obsessed with everything you just said. It, it, there is this such polarization of you have to do either all or nothing. Like either, like you said, you're either keto or like Twinkies are healthy. And there's just this weird place right now where I, I, it's so confusing, even to me who, I mean, I have a, not nearly the education that you do, but I mean, like, well, I have a BS in health and human performance. So I understand nutrition a little bit, but then you get no nutrition training essentially in like nursing, NP, PA school, physicians. I mean, you get the training on like the electrolytes and how protein affects, you know, healing and things like that. But we essentially have no formal dietetic or nutrition training like, like you guys do. And so, okay. What I would love for you to do too, is explain to people, because I think this is such a, a thing. What is, what are your qualifications as a dietitian, And, and really what is the differentiator between a dietitian who is a medical provider versus a, a health coach or a nutrition coach? And, and just disclaimer, like I said, I, we talked a little bit before this and like, listen, there's a place for everybody. Totally get it. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what are your, what's your differentiator so that people will kind of know when they're looking for these things and when they're listening to people, like who are they listening to? Such a good question, Claire. I mean, it is the freaking wild west out there. Literally. People are so confused. Like this person is calling themselves a nutritionist, but what do you mean they're not qualified to help me, you know, control yeah. my diabetes? So um, I love this question. I am super passionate about this, uh, clearly, as a healthcare professional within the nutrition space. And so registered dietitians are credentialed by um, the states to and um, just nationally um, to be able to um, disseminate nutrition information that is evidence-based. Um, not just mm-hmm. provide nutrition education, but nutrition counseling as well. And so in order for us to have that credential, um, at the moment, we don't require a master's degree. We just, we, but we do require a bachelor's degree. The, um, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is um, potentially going to require a master's degree in nutrition in order for you to be a dietitian in the future, but TBD on mm-hmm. that one. Um, and so we have to have a 
higher educational degree in nutrition. And then we have to do a dietetic internship. Um, mm-hmm. Different internships, th- there are a variety of different internships that have different specialties. Um, my internship experience and all of the internship experience at, of the dietitians who work for our company, Kalina Health, is clinical. Um, mm-hmm. So we have to have hospital experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for my hospital experience was about a year long, um, in, in which, you know, we're working hand in hand with physicians, um, SLPs in supporting very sick patients in mm-hmm. clinical inpatient settings. Um, and then we have to take, uh, a, a very comprehensive exam, um, that mm-hmm. is, uh, disseminated by the state, um, in order for us to, to become registered dietitians. Um, so, uh, and then in order for us to maintain our credential, just like with other healthcare professionals, we have to have continuing education credits, um, that again, are all based on evidence and science in nutrition. And that is what makes us registered dietitians. Um, and so when we talk about the word nutritionist, actually there is no licensure and there is no credential that outlines the scope of practice for a nutritionist. So that means that anyone can call themselves a nutritionist. So if you see someone right. say, oh, I'm a nutritionist, um, red flag, <laughs> but what yeah. does that even mean? It doesn't really mean anything. Um, health coaches are interesting because the health coaching space, some health coaches have evidence-based training. They're, They're board certified. They, they can be. Just, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I have health coach training and um, I was board certified in health coaching um, based on an evidence-based training that I did. And so when it comes to health coaches, they're really focused on behavior modification. They don't Mm -hmm. get comprehensive training in, you know, the science behind nutrition. It's really more focused on lifestyle with a little bit of information about nutrition, kind of like your basic healthy eating, right? Like, you know, I think we all know that the foundation of our diet should be fruits and vegetables, that protein and fiber are important, right? And so health coaches do get a little bit of information about that, but by no means are they specialized in nutrition. And again, anyone can call themselves a health coach, although there is a board certification right now, not all health coaching programs and not all health coaches are required to have a board certification. Um, so it can be really tricky for consumers and the average person who's just trying to get some help (laughs) and how to eat out there. Um, so that's sort of how you weave through all of the subtleties and what it means to be a healthcare professional in the nutrition space. I was so thrilled when BetterHelp approached me to partner. So thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you with counseling in an incredibly convenient and affordable way. I think those are the two biggest barriers to getting into counseling, really access and affordability. BetterHelp solves both of those issues with the click of a button. I was so pleasantly surprised when I looked at their rates. I've personally seen the benefits of counseling and I know how important it is and I know it plays a crucial role in mental health. Check them out. They'll know I sent you and you'll get 10% off your first month of counseling by visiting betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. It's super easy. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash dabbleco. Yeah. And I think people don't even realize 
So the dietitians, like you said, you spent a year in, in the hospital working alongside the teams with, with really sick patients. So if you've ever been in the hospital or had a loved one in the hospital or a you know, child or whoever, and they have, you know, we have to put in an order in the hospital. Like the food doesn't just, this is so interesting because people just like, I think you just don't realize the inner workings of the hospital, right? Like the tray just comes to the yeah. room and the, <laughs> and the food is on it, but what goes into that is, let's say, you know, you're a head and neck cancer patient, for example. Well, the speech therapist has to sign off on the specific type of diet that you're able to chew and swallow. But then the dietitian's going to weigh in on literally the number of calories that should be on the plate and the macronutrient, you know, like protein and fiber. And like you're saying, they're going to actually put forth recommendations to the team about literally every bite of food that's on that plate. And then you can even take it further and say, if you're on TPN or which is TPN is like, if you can't eat or have a feeding tube or anything, but we still have to give your body nutrition. It's like, I basically like feeding you through IV fluids, kind of the most simple way to explain it. And every little molecule that goes into that bag was calculated and figured out by your dietitian, not your doctor. Um, at least, and I would 99% of the time, I'm sure there's some physician somewhere that's doing it, but, and I don't think people realize what goes, what goes into that. We don't just like give you food in the hospital. And so that's pretty, that's pretty complicated, you know, to, to think out all of that and how complicated that is for patients, but nobody really realizes that. And so, like you said, as a, a normal consumer, who's just like, Hey, I just want to eat better. You see these words and, and don't really realize there are massive variations in the level of education and, and training that you may get in your, I say provider, but if, if they're not a dietitian, then they're not a healthcare provider. So I'm sorry, not that I'm, I don't want to bash yeah. nutritionists because some of them are awesome, <laughs> but you're not a healthcare provider. I, I think I will argue that if you're really passionate about doing this work and really serious about supporting people with their nutrition, then you should get serious about the education and the credentials that you pursue. Right. So like, yeah, if you're awesome and you love nutrition, become a registered dietitian, mm-hmm. get the credentials in order for you to be a healthcare professional. Um, yeah. It's really important for everyone to have access to good quality nutrition care. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can actually do harm, you know, you can do harm if you're helping people yeah. and you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so that's where kind of you guys came in to change. Like you said, you know, accessibility is so important for everybody. What, okay, so how do people find you guys and what kind of patients are you taking? Like what, how how did you even start all of this? Besides just the idea, but you know what I mean? Like how did you get people to come to you as patients? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, people, it's a combination of a lot of things from like a business perspective to insurance, right? The fact that we take insurance is huge for so many people because nutrition has really been perceived as this, as this elitist thing, right? Like if you're rich, if you're white, then you can have your own nutritionist or your own dietitian. Mm -hmm. But as healthcare professionals, we can take insurance and we do take insurance. Right. Um, and so we are able to really support more people and grow our business pretty quickly because of that, right? Like our yeah. values really align with wanting to, wanting people to have access 
to care that they don't know that they have access to. And so, you know, we're, we're able to really find people by taking insurance, but also sort of redefining what it means to work with a dietitian, Mm -hmm. right? We have the word diet in our credential, Mm, (laughs) which is a loaded word, right? Like, yeah, people think that dietitians are the food police. And for good reason, a lot of dietitians are the food police and not in the best way. (laughs) And so, you know, Vanessa and I and our team really made it very clear that we're redefining what it means to be a registered dietitian. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be white in order for you to get good care or to be a practitioner in this space. Um, So we were very clear with our message from the beginning and that relatability really resonated with people because nutrition is so sensitive. Our health in general is so sensitive, right? It is something that is, people have a deep amount of worry, shame, and fear around. And to be able to work with a practitioner who you can relate to, who really understands that is so valuable. And so we were really able to be very clear about our messaging and who we are and what we do. And people really resonated with that. And so that's sort of how we got and are getting our patients. We're, we're finding our people by being really authentic to who we are and what we're trying to do and by being accessible through insurance. Yeah. I was going to say, so the accessible, like you've got this big team of 15, 20, how many dietitians do you have a a lot? You have a big team, but are are they almost 20? (laughs) Are they, is it virtual? Is most of what you do virtual or all of what you do through virtual sessions? Yes, everything we do is through telehealth. And so are those folks, like they have to be, I'm just thinking out loud, like they would have to be licensed in whatever state you're seeing a patient or I I don't know if the, well, maybe the regulations are different for dietitians and COVID has certainly changed things. But so how does that work? I mean, obviously you're doing it the right way or insurance would be like, get out of here. But, um, so that should tell you something guys, if this, if they can take insurance, they're doing everything the right way because even when you're doing it the right way like in the hospital insurance still will tell you to check the door so um kudos for y'all I know it takes an incredible (laughs) amount of work and a lot of attorneys to do things the right way so yeah how does that work oh yeah oh yeah insurance is uh probably the most challenging part of this all (laughs) yeah um but again, like it's so important for us to be able to take insurance so we can support more people and make our services more accessible. Right. As you said earlier, um, when it comes to you know physicians versus dietitians in licensure, that's very different. So in some states, we're required to have licenses in those states in order for us to see people in those states. Um, mm-hmm. But in other states, we don't have licensure, which is another part of sort of our previous conversation where we talked about um you know, nutritionists versus dietitians, it gets even more complicated when you add licensure to that. Yeah. And so state regulations and all you that, can be, yeah. yeah, you can be, I'm, for instance, I am licensed. Um, I'm a licensed registered dietitian. I'm a registered dietitian. I am a certified dietitian nutritionist in New York. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a licensed registered dietitian in Florida. <laughs> so there Semantics. are a lot of different credentials. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so like, no wonder people are confused. <laughs> um, and the rules are different for different states. And so, yes, there's a, there's a lot of um, investment that goes towards our legal team. Thank you very much to them. Yep. Um, yep. But yes, we, we are able to see, for the most part, we are able to see people in most states through telehealth. And so what do you, what do most people come to you for? Is it, I mean, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, like you said, you know, if you're diabetic or, you know, have heart disease or is, you know, are you seeing weight loss or what's kind of the bulk of people coming to see you? Yeah. I mean, I think the beauty of our practice is that our dietitians specialize in a variety of different specialties. And actually it's not just about their health care specialties, but it's also about their counseling styles. So people come to us for really everything under the sun. Um, We have dietitians who specialize in non-diabetes endocrinology. So um, PCOS, uh, thyroid conditions. We have dietitians who specialize in prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes. We also have dietitians who specialize in family nutrition and perinatal nutrition, um, mm-hmm. in obesity and weight loss, um, really everything under the sun. I mean, we work with patients who just need help in their lifestyle, right? So mm-hmm. I have patients who have no chronic illness, but are, want to prevent chronic illness. Um, and just want to feel better. And so we support people in that capacity too. Um, So, you know, having a multidisciplinary practice in terms of specialty is really important to us because again, it goes back to personalization, right? There's no one person who is right for everyone. My co-founder Vanessa and I say this all the time. We have very different counseling styles Um, like the opposite (laughs) counseling style, but we get this, we both get really good results. And that's a reflection of one, like we're evident, we we provide evidence-based care and we have a a lot of experience working with people. So it's not just about, you know, having evidence-based nutrition counseling, but also having the experience of counseling people for, you know, a decade. Um, but not only that, like our counseling styles are super different. And so it's really important for us to have practitioners who have different backgrounds, who have different counseling styles, different specialties. So you can really find your person, you know, it doesn't mean that if you don't mesh with someone, it doesn't mean that either of you are, are, are bad at what you do. It's probably more of a reflection of this just wasn't a great fit. So, um, we have a, a very comprehensive matching process where we, speak with our our potential patients before they come to see us and really get a better understanding of what their goals are, you know, what counseling style works for them. um, So we can really support them in matching them with, with a dietitian who is best to help them reach their goals. And so, okay, going kind of with that, I'm just thinking about, you know, we talked about accessibility and affordability and you're, you're saying like, listen, you don't have to be rich and white to do this. And it's, because it typically, I think in the past was a lot of this nutrition coaching or health coaching or diet coaching, any of it was, it's all, it's cash-based, right? Like there's a reason there's now like a bajillion Mm -hmm. people in this field is because it's cash. And so insurance really changes that, but kind of just thinking about culturally there, there have to be some really big hurdles 
culturally that you've got to make sure you're putting people with someone who can really fully understand that. And so your team is so diverse. I mean, you've got men, you've got women, you've got people of all different shades of color. And I I think that's where you got to start is, I hate this phrase, but like meeting people where they are, but, but it's so true. And so, so how do you navigate that? Cause I think there's a huge cultural component and even as a healthcare provider, if you're saying something like I might be saying something that I think is the most benign, strictly health related, like almost platonic, if you will, statement of like, Hey, your weight is playing a role in this disease and here's why, or this part of your nutrition may be playing a part in this disease process you have and here's why. But I don't know the cultural inner workings of all of the different patients that I'm seeing, you know, and I I mean, we can do the best we can, but how do you guys, how how do you navigate that? And how does that kind of play into, to what you're doing? Cause I know it's hugely important to you. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, one of the most important things. And, you know, we talked earlier about what's missing in the nutrition space and that voice is really missing. We are missing culturally competent healthcare providers in general, but definitely in the Mm -hmm. nutrition space. Um, And so when it comes to working with people in supporting them to change their health, from a nutrition perspective, we have to consider their culture (laughs) always, right? It doesn't make, we're not going to be effective as healthcare professionals if we're making recommendations that go against cultural values, right? Yep. That is, if you're, if you're a healthcare professional and your goal is to help people, that's foundational. Every healthcare professional is responsible for learning about the different cultures of the people who we are helping. It's so important if we want to be effective healthcare providers. Um, And so that is a value that is hugely important to us at Kalina Health and really Mm -hmm. on the forefront of the work that we do when we're counseling people. As I said earlier, talking to people about food and nutrition is very personal. Um, And a part of it being personal is the cultural component. So um, that is is integrated into all of our education and counseling styles. We really let our patients lead. So we, our approach isn't one where we're like, you have to, uh, you have to stop eating rice. Right. <laughs> and you have right. to eat kale. <laughs> yeah. And you, you know, need to follow my rules and have like grilled chicken breast. Right. So yeah. our approach is really, okay, what are some foods that are really important to you, whether it's cultural or, you know, it's just some like familial, what, whatever it is, these are the foods that are important to you. How can we integrate these into your plan in a way that supports your health and doesn't harm your health, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would never tell a patient you can't have white rice. My husband is Filipino. Rice is a staple of his culture. Yeah. <laughs> and it's important for him to have white rice as part of his diet. And so Being able to provide a personalized plan um, for someone that includes their cultural foods is a big part of how you deliver culturally competent care, right? Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways to do that, but that's obviously from a nutrition perspective, that's a really important part of that process. 
So how do you guys, I just, I'm asking this too, really for like my own knowledge. And then just thinking about my, my company with so many different people in it, we're kind of working on this comprehensive kind of plan right now, exactly like you're saying to, to include in our treatment of our patients, you know, different cultural aspects and different ideas that may be ingrained in them that might be correct, or they might be like medically incorrect, or like we talked about misinformation. And so do you guys, do you guys meet and kind of share, you know, what you've learned and your different knowledge of all of your different cultures? Or how do you do that? Because there's, I mean, listen, there's a lot, like just to be frank, like it's, there are a lot of different, obviously, (laughs) That sounds like the dumbest thing ever to say. Yeah. Like, there's a there are a, a lot of different cultures, <laughs> a lot of different cultures, right? Like in different, um, you know, you may be black, but like, are you? Did you grow up in America? Did you grow up in Haiti? Did you grow up in a- Africa? I mean, it, that's it's almost like, oh my gosh, those are different worlds away, and the culture could be so vastly different all over the place. So, h- how do you even? continue that conversation with your, your staff and your employees so that they have the most information that, that they need? Or do you just say, you know what, I, I think you'd be better matched with this person because they really understand that culture better. I mean, how, or is it, maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know what the right answer is. I'm selfishly asking that question for, mm-hmm. for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's a combination of both, right? Like I think it's really important to have different practitioners from different backgrounds, um, culturally and, you know, from a health specialty perspective, um, that is a part of it. So, you know, I have patients all the time who are like, I want to work with a black dietitian and that's it. I've never worked with black dietitian before. And I feel more comfortable working with people of color because I'm a person of color and, you know, maybe I've experienced medical racism or I just want someone who can relate, um, to my culture in like a very, real way because they've experienced it. (laughs) So that is a part of it. The other part of it is, you know, this is so important as a healthcare provider. If you don't know something, don't make an assumption, ask, right? Okay. So yes, it, it is our job to be informed about our patients' cultures, especially if, you know, a lot of our dietitians have done their internship in the Bronx. Mm. which is a community in New York city that yes, is very diverse, but has a high um, Latino population. Right. Uh And so if you know that 80% of your patient population comes from a certain cultural background is your duty to learn about cultural foods uh, or or norms of that culture. Right. Uh, But if you're seeing patients from a variety of different backgrounds you know, and, and there isn't sort of this, this overarching theme in the cultural backgrounds with everybody, with your patient population, it can be overwhelming to do research on every single one of those cultures. And so, like you said before, don't make assumptions that just because a person is black, they are African-American. Maybe they are an immigrant from the Caribbean, (laughs) right? Hell, they could be European. I mean, who knows? It could come from anywhere. Yes, exactly. They can come from anywhere. Exactly. And so as part of our intake, 
process, we ask very explicitly about cultural background and norms. And so we have that information coming in. Um, and then when we're giving nutrition recommendations, um, we always ask, do you have a preference in, you know, what you want to incorporate into your diet? Um, what are your favorite foods? What is most important to you when it comes to, you know, food and culture? What is your relationship with food like? And so we have all of this information about our patients that we're going out of our way to collect and ask before we make any recommendation about, you know, how they should change their nutrition to support their health goals. So that's a part of it, right? Like being very aware that you don't have to have all the answers, um, but you can ask for those answers. So you have that information so you can give better care. That's awesome. I mean, and again, I just want to go back to the insurance thing, like just so briefly, I, I just think it's so awesome because there are so many people who desperately need just knowledge and don't know where to find it, or they're finding the wrong stuff. And it's so unaffordable. I think about it kind of like a personal trainer in terms of pricing, right? Like, sure. I would love to have a personal trainer, but it's so freaking expensive. Like I don't. And imagine if you're, but this is the person who's like guiding you through exercise and telling like, or an exercise physiologist or something like telling you what you should be doing. Imagine if that was covered by insurance. I mean, that could be life-changing for so many people. And I kind of put this in that, that same realm of things that we feel like are unobtainable in terms of accessibility and affordability. But when you've got something that's one virtual, so it's accessible to most people, I won't say everybody, because the reality is that not everybody even has the internet, but it's accessible. And when you can bill insurance, that is a, a completely different price point. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a copay or something involved, but it just takes it into a, a different level where you can go into communities that you wouldn't have been able to go into before. And you can, you know, cross these boundaries into, into people's lives and into people's homes, which you can't really do in a hospital as, or at least as well in a hospital based setting. I, uh, I please don't like, if you're a hospital based dietitian, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offend you. Like y'all are invaluable, but this is just different. It's, it's very yeah. different. And I think it's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, in the hospital setting for many of the patients, it's really life or death, right? Like you said, right. they, they can't, we're giving them TPN or enteral nutrition because they can't eat, right? Especially in the NICU, uh, working with it, infants and, and children um, as it relates to feeding them, right? <laughs> like they, yeah. they need to be fed. And so like the value and the role of dietitians in the hospital is very important. But when it comes to chronic disease management and prevention, mm -hmm. we need to have more than 15 minutes with our patients in order for them to see results and make change. And we need to address things like behavior modification, which you just don't have the time to do in even three, three one-hour sessions with a patient, right? Like, yeah. unfortunately, some insurances will only cover three one-hour sessions. Um, and while that's better than nothing, it's not enough for us to be able to yeah. see mean, a meaningful impact on changes in chronic disease markers. Um, and so the work that we do is is very comprehensive and requires time. Um, so that's why insurance is so great 
sometimes <laughs> because we're yeah. able to work with our patients more than a typical, you know, inpatient dietitian right. would be able to. We, on average, are able to see our our patients um, at like upwards of unlimited sessions to six sessions. Um, but typically, we see our patients every every other week. Um, awesome. So that's the beauty of taking insurance. Yeah, we're really able to have the time to be able to see tangible outcomes in their health. Supplements and vitamins are a part of so many of our daily lives now. So how do we know what to choose in a brand? My family personally uses Thorne. Thorne has partnerships with hospitals and universities across the country, including the Mayo Clinic and Charleston's own Medical University of South Carolina. You can order any Thorne product through me when you create an account at thorne.com slash you, like the letter U slash Dabbleco. You'll get 15% off and free shipping on any orders when you create your account. So create an account, confirm Dabbleco as your referral, and the discount is applied in the cart. Remember, you have to create an account to get the discount. So again, that's thorn.com slash you slash Dabbleco. The direct link will also be in the show notes. So I wanted to talk to you too, or I'm going to take a little bit of a left, but wanted to talk about food morality and kind of just the conversation around that. And it, it, it does kind of, I think, then kind of, everything goes back to like culture and cultural norms and what you hear and what's ingrained in you, you know, as you're growing up and all that. And we've got this whole generation of kids that is going to hear this term clean. um, And, and that's going to be kind of Mm -hmm. part of their upbringing. And I'm wondering if we're going to have to undo a lot of that. I don't know. Um, But what, what, how do you, First of all, does that word mean anything to you? Does do you use that in your practice? Do do you hear that a lot? And then kind of what do you do with this clean versus not clean culture? That's a big question. Yeah. It's, it's such a good question. And and yeah, like you said, there's it you know, racism ties into this. <laughs> there's 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 a lot to address here, but I think when it comes to the word clean as it refers to food, it's, it doesn't belong there. (laughs) Um, Clean, you know, is sort of a reference to whole, whole foods, right? Mm -hmm. Which is whole eating of diet that's based on whole foods is really important. Um, We know the research says that diets that consist of mostly processed foods lead to, you know, increased risk for chronic disease and obesity. Um, And so it is important for us to have a diet that emphasizes whole minimally processed foods versus processed foods. That is the, the correct way to refer to the foods that are sort of being referenced when we're discussing clean versus dirty foods right and so you're saying whole versus processed is correct yeah so highly processed foods um Uh the research shows that highly processed an excess consumption of highly processed foods increases your risk of chronic disease a a million Um, times yeah what is the opposite of processed foods yeah yeah the opposite of processed foods are minimally processed whole foods, right? So what are we talking about here, right? 
chips is the perfect example. I per- personally am a, a chip lover. They're delicious. <laughs> it doesn't mean you don't have mm-hmm. to eat chips. Like you don't have to avoid chips for eternity. But when we think about the whole whole food ingredient in chips, it's potatoes, right? Potatoes yeah. are actually a great source of potassium and fiber if they're minimally processed and you keep the skin on. And so potatoes can be a very healthy part of a diet. Um, Uh and they're delicious and you can enjoy them, um, and reap the health benefits. Whereas when you have chips, for example, they're a highly processed version of potatoes, which taste delicious, but if consumed in excess, they're high in sodium, which could be a problem for those who have hypertension or at risk for hypertension. Um, they don't have the additional benefits of having fiber or potassium because, you know, they've been cooked at a very, very high heat and they've been stripped of the skin. Um, and so you're really just getting carbohydrates. You're not really getting much carbohydrates and fat and salt. You're not getting those health benefits that you would if you didn't highly process that food to make mm-hmm. it more palatable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that being said, you can have chips as part of a healthy diet, right? It's really about understanding just what I said, that science, the nuances of, of eating and, and cons- consuming different types of foods, given like how we create food right now in, in, yeah. as humans. <laughs> we have technology to be able to do some crazy stuff to food and we do it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But that's, I think, why it's so important to work with someone who has that knowledge and that experience because they can clearly explain um, instead of saying, oh, you know, eat more clean foods, which applies morality to food. um, They can say what I just said, right? Like this is the science behind why eating potatoes um, in their unprocessed whole form is more beneficial for health. Um, It doesn't mean that you can't eat processed chips, but have them in moderation and lean more on whole unprocessed foods if this is your health goal and this is, you know, mm-hmm. the work that we're doing together. Um, so, you know, the, the notion of like clean versus dirty is, is I th- can be very harmful. And I think we, again, just need to reframe that as healthcare mm-hmm. professionals so people really understand what that means. Um, yeah. And I think it's a reflection, again, of most of the people in the nutrition space are not qualified to disseminate nutrition information. <laughs> and so yeah. they label foods um, and simplify really what it means to to eat a diet that supports health. But like you said, too, even in the beginning, what's kind of happened is now, you know, like everything else, we've, we've become, everything's become so dogmatic and it has to be one or the other. And, and what I get a little bit frustrated with is, you know, I, I do, I do love these accounts and and bigger, I don't know if you want influencers, whatever you want to call them that are out there, you know, giving people the message that, Hey, there shouldn't be morality assigned to food. And, you know, the word chemical, the word clean, those are essentially are meaningless in the context that we're using them. But there are a few people or a lot of people, I would say that have kind of swung the other way and would say, well, all food provides some form of nutrition. Okay, correct. Great. Like, yes, like you said, potato chips or whatever, like they do provide some form of of nutrition. But how do I, I, and I'm thinking about this kind of in the context of my kids, right? Like, how do you phrase it 
pretend we're all kids because basically we are like how do you phrase it or teach people like <laughs> like things aren't good or bad per se but like you can't just say I mean I don't subscribe to that like everything is nutritious is kind of what's what's happened I feel like there's two sides it's like the clean clean yeah. side and then this other side of like yeah, eat, eat whatever, kind of eat whatever you want. Like what were you saying in almost intuitive eating of like, yeah, just have whatever you want. It's all, it's all nutrition. How how do we navigate that? All foods fit. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a big reason why my co-founder and I started Kulina and created this company to, to really say, actually guys, the reality is that People are very sick right now (laughs) because of a number of different reasons, nutrition being part of that. And what we eat and how we eat has a direct impact on our physical and mental health and our quality of life. And we can go to extremes and completely cut out categories of food or just eat whatever we want. But neither of those philosophies is really like serving us and our health ultimately, right? Like maybe intuitive eating is really valuable for a certain subset of the population who has an eating disorder Um, and utilizing the intuitive eating principles is hugely valuable to support patients and people in changing their relationship with food, Mm -hmm. um, especially if they have a... Uh, history of having an eating disorder or more severe disordered eating. But that doesn't necessarily apply to someone who maybe has type 2 diabetes and it's really difficult for them to get in touch with their intuition around what to eat because their appetite is impacted by their medical condition in that they're insulin resistant and they're going to crave carbs and sugar all the time. And so like intuitively, they just want to eat carbs and sugar all the time. Right. Like that approach is, doesn't really apply to everyone. Um, And so it's really important for us to be able to recognize that again, the personalization is so important here. doesn't mean that intuitive eating is bad, but it really is. The research says that it's, more successful in a very small subset of the population who has an eating disorder. Hmm. And so we really need to think about nutrition in context and that's, what's really missing. Right. So we need to take the time to, when we're speaking to people, when we're speaking to our children about food, instead of saying, don't eat dessert, that's bad. We need to really take the time to explain to people. Dessert is so delicious. Um, and I know this is something you really want and we can have dessert, but in order for you to feel energized or get a good night's sleep, um, and be able to concentrate at school, we only want to have dessert once in a while, right? Mm -hmm. We want to add these foods in, in order for like, this is an example if you're talking with your children, right? We want to add these, we want to add protein in, we want to add vegetables in to help you be stronger, you know, to help you be able to have the energy to grow. Right. And so taking the time to give people context so they, they can make their own decisions around food. Right. That's really when behavior shifts is when not because I am telling you, you need to eat clean and you need to cut out carbs because they're bad or 
you need to eat whatever you want so you can change your relationship with food. You need to give people context, like what I just did around, you know, intuitive eating, around carbohydrates, around sugar, so they can process that information and make decisions on their own. Because that's that's really what, what ultimately ends up supporting behavior change. Well, we know, I mean, I, I don't know if you know the statistic, um, but I mean, we know after decades and decades of different diets coming out, I mean, essentially we know that dieting for weight loss or long-term change, whatever that looks like, essentially doesn't work without true behavior modification. And that's not what diets do, right? Like it's such a restrictive um, thing to do and that it it just, and it's not, they're not sustainable. So at some point you quit doing the diet and then you rebound or get, you know, are worse than you were before because your, your brain didn't ever have a chance to really change the way it was thinking about this relationship that you're having with food and why am I doing this and how can I fit, like you said, you know, rice or dessert or whatever it is into my overall diet. Um, so yeah, I don't know what the number is. What is it? It's, I think it's some crazy number, like 80% of people that go on a diet, like gain more weight after they get off. I, I don't know. It's some crazy high number. Yeah. The reality is that diets don't work. And um, like you said, the behavior modification, people don't just change because you tell them they need to change. Right. <laughs> people don't just do whatever you say, right? Like, Which is really annoying. Understand. <laughs> it is annoying as a practitioner. <laughs> They should, but they don't. They should, but they don't. And so, you know, we have to have, as dietitians, you know, physicians, most physicians don't have time to provide behavior modification support, right? No. Like they see their patients, you know, once a year, once every three, once every three months is kind of the max for at most an hour. Most most physicians are only able to see their patients for 15 minutes, depending on the type of practice that they have, right? And like you said, they're, they don't have extensive training in nutrition. Um, no. And so that's why it's so important for registered dietitians, for registered dietitians to work with physicians to support their patients um, in that, that shared that shared goal to have their patients, you know, manage and prevent chronic disease. Um, or other diseases like gastrointestinal conditions. It's a big one too. Oh yeah. That's it. That's gotta be a hard one too. Do you guys get a lot of gut health? Oh my God, this could be a whole nother podcast. Um, I think the (laughs) the gut health thing, which like gut health is so important and it is like, there is very valid research and there are physicians doing great things in the space. And then, but also like everything, my God, it's now it's like taking this life of its own and people are random gut health coaches and we're going down this pathway of like, <laughs> what, what happened? God, like, oh, we were so close with just saying, Hey, this is important. Let's eat more fruits and vegetables. And now we're like drinking vinegar every morning and it's just gotten so weird. Oh. Um, but I, I was going to so say, why, do you guys get a lot so of that? It is like, what, what are we doing? Yeah, for sure. It's the wild west. <laughs> I know. Cause you know what it is, Claire is people want a quick fix. That's what it is mm. because diet culture has, has really planted the seed of there's a quick fix to this nutrition problem that you're having, this nutrition related yes. problem that you're having. Yeah. And so like, if you drink apple cider vinegar for breakfast, 
before you like do anything, that's your quick fix. Before yep. it was, you know, follow this diet, take this medication. The reality is that, you know, there's no quick fix for a lot of the conditions that we're managing for our health. Sometimes there are. Um, but that's like a very small percentage. (laughs) And so people, I think, get excited about something that they can do that's easy, um, that will make them feel better. And then people, um, people capitalize and make money off of that. And so it's really important to understand that nutrition is a process. Changing your health is a process. It takes time. It took you decades to develop habits. It's going to take you not decades to undo them, but some time, right? It's very, if you're doing it the right way, it's personalized and very nuanced. And there's a lot of try and learn, right? I know that if I'm working with someone who um, has a certain medical condition, there are evidence-based strategies that I can utilize to support them. But that doesn't mean that they're going to work every time. (laughs) So, you know, we can start there, but like we got to see if it experiments with it, you know, see what what works what doesn't work what are other factors that might influence someone's ability to be successful so you know I say all this to say it's a journey and it's a process and we all have to manage our expectations about the results that we're going to get and the time it's going to take to get that and unfortunately our current expectations are set by diet culture and people who are profiting off of you being sick and wanting to feel better Yeah. Oh man, this has been so helpful. Okay. So tell people where they can find you and your partner and your company and and anything they might want to, you know, follow you or the company, or if they want to be your patient, where can people find you? Yes. So you guys can find us, um, on KalinaHealth.com. That's our website. And we actually do free discovery calls with everyone. So if you want to get on the phone and speak with one of our care coordinators about what Mm -hmm. it's like working with us, about who might be the best dietitian to help you in supporting your needs. You can book a free 15 minute call with us. Um, So I highly recommend you guys do that. There's really like nothing to lose. (laughs) Um, And then we also do complimentary insurance texts. Yeah, there's no downside. Um, So if you do decide you want to work with us, we will um, check your benefits for you prior to your session. And um, as as we've discussed, we're a virtual practice, so we're we're able to see people um, virtually. So um, we are accessible to meet you where you're at. Um, You can find us also on Instagram. Our handle is at Kalina Health. We have a ton of, again, free evidence-based, science-based nutrition tips. Um, and then you can find me, my handles at smart Samuels RD, my co-founder, Vanessa Rosetto RD also are on Instagram. That's awesome. Gosh. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and guys, as always, it's so helpful if you will rate, subscribe and share the show. This is how I continue to get really good guests and just thank you so much for continuing to listen. I love this episode. I hope you guys share it with everybody and we'll see you next week. Thank you.